0: Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining
1: us. Today in the show, we're going to talk a little about Ag Lime, calcium carbonate. How does it work? Why does it work? And where do you need it? All throughout the show, our phone lines will be open. If you'd like to give us a call, you certainly can, 844 44 ag If you've got any questions or if there's anything you'd like to talk about on your farm that's happening right now, again, that number is 844-442-4743, or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So we'll get to the agphd PhD mailbag in just a little bit, but before we do, with lime, I think... If you're a farmer, you already know that lime can raise your soil pH. So if you've got low pH, you put lime on, the pH goes up. It's a pretty simple reaction that happens in the soil where basically if you have low pH soil, that means you have extra hydrogen. That's acidity, okay? So to get rid of that hydrogen, you put this lime or calcium carbonate on and the result is basically just water, carbon dioxide, and calcium that helps build up your soil and make it um, it gives it a little bit better tilth better soil porosity and can serve as a nice nutrient for crops too that's needed in a pretty big way so anyway calcium carbonate's awesome it's great for the soil great for the environment everything when you use it correctly now the two things that I wanted to talk about to start the show today are number one, not putting the lime in the right places. And number two, how did our pH get low in the first place? So let's start with not putting lime in the right places. Quite often here on the show, we talk about mistakes we made on our own farm. And here's one. If you're going to lime, I'd really, especially if you have variable soil. So like for us, almost no field that we've ever had has needed lime across the entire field. It's been areas of high pH, areas of low pH. Okay, if you have variable soil like that, so for example, you don't need lime across the whole field, then I would strongly encourage you, do small grids or small zones, that's fine, in your soil sampling method. The reason why is, here's what happened to us. We were going with bigger grids or even zones, and It was a lot of five-acre grids, and in some cases, much bigger than that, zones, and we thought, oh, across that whole grid or across that whole zone, we were low in pH. Well, come to find out later on, no, we really weren't. When we went down to one-acre grids, we realized our mistake. Well, it was too late, and what had happened is we'd put too much lime on in places that didn't need it, which then, of course, cost us money and hurt our yield, And then, in order to fix it, we had to put elemental sulfur on over time to drop that pH back down. So basically, I just told you we spent money, well, basically wasted money. It cost us yield, and then we had to spend more money to fix the problem. Now, that's not good, and that all can easily be solved if you just go with smaller grid sizes. Do more soil testing so you know exactly where your lime really needs to go. Okay, here's the second thing that I wanted to address. How did the pH get low in the first place? Because we picked up some ground over the years and we look at the the soil pH and we go, What in the world is going on here? Four three, four seven? Are you kidding me? That's horrible. And it's no wonder that whoever was farming it before had such terrible yields in spots in the field. So you have to ask yourself, okay, why did it get low? Because I gotta be honest, when the prairie was was broke To raise crop 100 years ago, it wasn't 4-3 for pH, I'll promise you that, across wide swaths. So how did it get low? Here's my assumption on how it got low. If you think about how we used to apply fertilizer, like take nitrogen fertilizer. Now, as you know, it's unbelievably expensive today, so you don't want to waste any, right? But the problem is, number one, we don't do a lot of soil testing. And number two, like not very many years ago, we were just doing broadcast applications of nitrogen across the whole field. And we'd say, well, number one, I haven't soil tested it, so I just assume there's almost no nitrogen left. And number two, uh, we don't know how much organic matter there is, which will result in mineralization, releasing nitrogen for free the following summer, and in some cases a whole bunch of it. And the third thing is, we'd just say, well, our yield goal is whatever. I'm talking a few, quite a few years ago, 150 bushel corn. So we're going to put 150 pounds of nitrogen across the whole field. Well, here's the problem. You might have had carryover in. You might have had a whole bunch of organic matter that was going to release lots of nitrogen anyway. So you might not have had to put any on, but you put 150 pounds on. And then if you've got pH that's already starting to be low, we know that yields hurt dramatically. So let's say instead of getting that 150, you get 80 or you get 100 or whatever in an area. Okay, now you put on way too much nitrogen. So when that nitrogen is in excess, what happens to it? Well, it's going to turn to nitrate. Then it's going to turn to nitric acid, and it's going to strip calcium out of the soil as it leaches away. So you overspent, you strip calcium out of your soil, you hurt your yield, and you might have caused an environmental problem for other people. (laughs) Okay, none of that sounds good to me, right? So my point is, please soil test. It's just like on our farm. We have fields where it's 100 or 200 pounds of leftover nitrogen after 250 bushel corn. Where would it come from? I don't know. But thank goodness I know about it. Otherwise, I would have put a whole bunch more nitrogen on going into corn again next year. And next year, when we actually will likely get some rain, if I was sitting there with three, 400 pounds of nitrogen and I don't necessarily need it right then, what's it gonna do? It's gonna leach out, it's gonna lower my pH, then I gotta put lime on to fix the problem again. So I overspend, I cause yield loss, I hurt the environment, and then I gotta spend money again to put lime on to fix the problem. So you can see how this gets to be a vicious cycle if you don't soil test and you don't fertilize accordingly. So that's the number one thing that I wanted to talk about today. When it comes to lime, yeah, it's a fantastic product, and you can use it to raise your soil pH. The finer the grade, the smaller the particle size, the faster it's going to change your pH. So that's the number one thing you're looking for, the fineness of the lime. Always remember that. But two, just make sure you're putting it where you actually need it, and then you'll do yourself a lot of good in terms of yield get that soil ph especially for corn soybeans and wheat in that 6.3 to 6.8 range nutrients are very available the crop does well stay tuned we'll talk more about lime right after this
3: Nothing waits for a farmer. Not the weather, the banker, the crops. It's never at a farmer's convenience. So when it comes to crop protection savings programs, how come they get to ask you to wait for a rebate? Don't wait for rebates. Get the True Choice offer from Corteva AgriScience for instant, upfront savings on crop protection products. Ask your local Pioneer sales representative or your crop protection retailer about the True Choice offer from Corteva. But don't wait.
4: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Oh man, you already heard from Brian about lime. It's something that has been important on our farm. There's some fields that we definitely needed it and some farming practices that honestly needed to change a little bit that we needed to manage a little bit differently to make sure we didn't have pH going down. And in our soils, uh, man, we can, we can hold that neutral pH. We can keep nutrients available. It, it works very well, but it does take some work. There's no doubt about that. But in the South, it's a little different, little different soils, a little different weather. Get our friend Chad Henderson on down in Alabama, part of the Extreme Ag Group. Chad, thanks for joining us.
5: Yeah, yeah. Good to be on today.
0: All right. So we're talking about low pH soils and lime. What what are things like on your farm and what have you guys had to fight over the years?
5: Well, you know, ours is, I don't, I don't know if the way y'all's is up there, but ours is, you know, we have the lime down here that's acidic. So we have mag problems, you know, it's hard to keep our mag up. And it's all up into Tennessee, um, probably an hour, hour and a half away maybe, before we can get any dolomitic lime. So, you know, we, the struggle is opposite sides of the spectrum, you know. You, so it, it's, it's something to definitely be addressed.
0: All right. So magnesium is a, obviously a huge nutrient. When you think about the center of the chlorophyll molecule, that's a big, big deal. So is it yep. K-Mag then or what, what sources of Mag are, yep. are available it, in your area?
5: Yeah, yeah, that's what, that's what we have to do, you know, and I didn't mean to get off on Mag, but just wanted to start with that part of it, that that's the lime that we have available. So we'll use a, a good bit of K-Mag, you know, to keep, to try to keep that balance back. Absolutely. Um, where yeah. other parts, you know, are, are just at their mags real high and they're trying to get rid of it you know
0: yeah we're in that boat where we've got plenty of mag man if yeah. we could just mix our soils together chad we probably have yeah. something
5: yes well mine would run away if we <laughs> mix it together it'd be like oil and water mine would take off
0: <laughs> all right so so, so when yeah, you look we, at this we, I, we try to i like i like your to point though you gotta story. look across that whole soil test and see what mm-hmm. what are you shorting because you're right there's calcitic lime there's there's uh, yep. dolomitic lime there's different kinds of lime out there
5: Yep, yep, that's exactly right. So we we'll, we focused on it, you know, a good bit. And so last week, you know, we're in an area down here that's that's got a lot of housing and development coming in. And so we can see this coming on a couple of farms. So about five years ago, I started playing with a farm that was steadily going away in a subdivision deal. And I decided I wasn't going to put any more fertilizer out. So I really honed in on the pH. And I was like, let's just see how much, you know, we talk about, you know, this year with fertilizer prices the way they are. Let's just see how much we'll pull it down, you know. Well, we'll pull our fertilizer down if you don't put any out. And I'm, I'm not saying don't put any out, but, you know, I pulled off, it was uh, five crops. And the needle barely moved on a lot of the nutrients, but we really honed in on pH. I mean, we really honed in on pH.
0: That, that is interesting. You always read about and hear about, oh, man, if you just get pH in the right range, you'll have better nutrient availability. It certainly sounds like a case of that. I know uh, you kind of made me sound, made me think about my dad just a little bit there, Chad. You're like, you know, I'm going to give this ground up, so I'm going to kind of mine it out a little bit. I, I don't know. It doesn't yeah. always work out so good. Yeah.
5: Yep, yep. That that mining it, it will mine it out. If you do not focus, you know, when when they told me, you know, we were gonna to talk today about lime, I'm like, Well if you don't focus on it, I promise you there's a lot of mining that will go on because the you know, the nutrients will become unavailable in a hurry and you know, fast. And it don't take but you know, one point out is a long ways, as you know, and, and one, one point out takes a while to get back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt about that. You you don't want to get in that spot. And I just before our show, I was listening to to Real Radio here, and they were talking about, man, if you don't keep up with P and K and some of these other nutrients, uh, yeah. you're gonna to have to pay the price at some point, point. it's a big yeah. price right now.
5: Yes, it is. It is a huge price right now. That's exactly right. Um, but yeah, we we'll try to focus and keep a lot of our litter in that you know six two to six five six eight range. Is where we try to keep it, and it'll it'll dip down and you know to the six, five, you know five eighths sixes, and that's when we're you know when we're really pouring it back to it, but but we'll go down and 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 you know like y'all are high and trying to get down.
0: Yep, yep. It's all relative depending on where you're at. All right, Chad. So yep. uh, you're working on raising better yields. Which crop do you think you made the most progress on this year? Ooh.
5: Man, you know, every time I think I make progress, it shows me up and shows me something I didn't learn, didn't know. It's <laughs> good. You, you know, every time you think, you know, you, you you're setting me up for failure here, bro. <laughs> well,
0: you're you always know, paying so, attention uh, that way. You're always learning something. That's good.
5: That that is true. That is true. You know, um, I don't know. I would say I would say both crops. Uh, you know, and we hadn't really talked about wheat a whole lot. We've we've learned a lot on our wheat and fungicide applications and fungicide timings. You know, you know, everybody's always talking about a lot of parts you know as corn or soybeans but i don't know that this year i didn't learn as much on wheat as i have on on anything is
0: that uh, thanks to our friend lee lubers or who are you picking up some knowledge yeah. from there
5: well th- yeah that's right lee does a great job you know with biology and stuff and and uh, yes thank- definitely thanks to lee lubers on that deal
0: <laughs> yeah, it's always good to but, to compare notes with others. Uh, I know our topic today is lime, but I mean, with any topic in agriculture, just to to find out what other farmers are doing, where they're finding success, it's it's pretty valuable.
5: You know, you know, it's it's and and a lot of this stuff is not relative to you. You know, I mean, me and Lee are as far away from each other as possible, but it's but it's the little pieces to get to that point that you can pick up on. You know, so so it's like, oh well that that's way different from anything I do. I could never do that. But still to get to the point is still the same way.
0: Yeah, the ultimate goal is the same and, and you're right. It may be maybe uh in his dry climate doesn't really fit with what you're yeah. doing or with his cold weather doesn't necessarily fit with what you're doing in all yeah. cases, but but certainly a lot of a lot of things that you do have in common yeah. too.
5: Well, I'm. I mean, I've learned more. I've learned as much, you know, off y'all's farm when y'all've invited me up for the last several years. I've learned as much there as anywhere from Glenn and y'all, and y'all too, you know, to, to see how how many different trials and applications that y'all have, you know. And I, I don't know, have y'all have y'all done much trial work on pulling lime down, you know, in, in some of your applications and see the yield on it?
0: On on uh, just varying the rate of lime, you mm-hmm.
5: mean? Yeah, yeah, that's right.
0: You know, variable rate lime is is starting to get pretty popular up here, too, and and you're right. Uh, Brian is making that comment here as we started the show today that we haven't had a single one of our fields that we could just blanket rate lime across the whole thing. Yeah. It's been different all so the my, way across.
5: Yeah, my dad was like, I don't know, you know, we, well, those samples are high. You know, when we start grid sampling these fields, he's like, well, I think you'd be better off. You put a pencil to it, you just need to put a ton all the way across the field and just be done with it. And just At least you're paying for lime and not paying for sampling. You know, and I said, Well you got a great point there, I said, But what about the area that gets twice too much lime and I'm up at seven three or seven four or seven five and then this other area that ain't getting nothing? And he just looks at me, you know. So <laughs> so that's definitely the old you know, the old style coming back out in you that you know, we don't want to spend it on a sample. Let's spend
0: it on the material. Well, and our dad is kind of the same way, too. Ah, I don't know if the variable rate is such a big deal. We could buy 10 more pounds of nutrient here if we just didn't pay yeah. for that. So there's yeah. always there's always ways to look at it. And I just think we have to embrace the technology that, hey, we can do things better. And it's not free in all cases to do that. But the, the real testament is going to be what kind of profit are we going to have at the end of the year what's our net out of this and man if you overdo lime i, I can speak from experience on that one it's expensive trying to get it back out
5: that that's exactly right you know and, and we you know we look at look at these things and, and you know the farmers in the last you know 10 years or so we're so much more efficient and that's what what's driving our prices and our pocketbooks you know is the efficiency that we get to do now you know the american farmers just does a really good job being efficient and it's the technology that people have brought to the table that have have made that for us you know um so so we got that we got to embrace that and take it take it as far as we can take it you know because everything else is is about crunching numbers
0: well one of the reasons we love having our friend chad henderson on the show is chad's always pushing for that extra bushel and that extra (laughs) dollar of profit chad thank you so much really appreciate having you on thanks for uh, for sharing a little bit
5: I appreciate it. Me
0: you bet. And we're talking about lime on today's show, and, and I, I get what Chad's saying, too. Man, you can't hardly be any farther away geographically uh, from Alabama up to South Dakota. But uh, some of these same lessons are going to to play out, regardless of which crop you're in and what state you're in, because this is a soil thing. When we're putting lime out there, we're putting out calcium carbonate, and we're trying to increase that pH in your soil and it's a pretty easy natural process producing free calcium, carbon dioxide for the plants to breathe in and water. That's it. So there's no negative impact on the environment. In fact, it's very positive on soil health because your soil microbes like that pH moderated just a little bit. They don't like severely acid pH. We'll talk a little bit more about lime. We'll also take your calls and questions at 844-44-AG-PHD.
3: What's new from New Farm? Leopard Herbicide brings you exceptional planting flexibility for soybeans, field corn, and cotton. Leopard provides your spray plans with a fall or early spring option to boost resistance management. And did we mention it's a highly compatible tank mix partner due to its ultra-low use rate? Ask your dealer for Leopard Herbicide. Available for fall.
0: How do you make 300 bushel corn on your farm? I'm Darren Hefty. On Tuesday, February 1st, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that rob yield potential. If you want a roadmap to 300-bushel corn and beyond, don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. While you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events that we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in soybeans and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information that we can't wait to share with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com.
6: It takes a team to beat resistant weeds. Experts agree using multiple herbicides with alternate modes of action increases your chances of beating resistant weeds. Tough 5VC is a selective, contact herbicide for post emergence control of broadleaf weeds, especially herbicide resistant strains. Tough 5VC is a perfect teammate, having a synergistic effect with HPVD inhibitors and enhances products in the PS2 group. Make Tough 5VC part of your winning team. Ask your local retailer about Tough 5VC or visit belchemusa.com. Always read and follow label instructions.
4: Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds including kochia, tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our discussion is around the topic of lime applications on today's program. Lots of liming happening after harvest in the upper Midwest and other parts of the continent as well. Let's head over to Michigan. Got our friend Daryl on with us right now. Daryl, how's it going?
7: Good, uh, Darren and yourself?
0: Well, not too bad. You know, we, we got talking with Chad Henderson down in Alabama about lime, and he said, man, i got to go all the way up to Tennessee to find dolomitic lime. We're short of magnesium here. When you're liming, what kind of lime do you like, and are you shooting for magnesium or just high calcium concentrate?
7: Well, the guys that are farming my land right now, they, um, they went back to the uh, calcitic lime because um, our mag levels on our on our base saturations are actually pretty good, you know, we're in that 12 to 20% range and so we really don't need the magnesium. There are some spots on some of our soils where I've had to spread uh, dolomitic lime, but mostly right now it's calcitic. We had, um, you know, as I talked with you before, we had um, access to beet lime, but the guys that are farming my land really don't like using that. They're not, they're not real confident in the, in the levels and not getting the bang for their buck out of it.
0: You know, the beet lime is kind of interesting, and Brian, you could comment on this one too, because I know some of the beet lime has got a lot of other nutrients in it, like even phosphorus. Yeah, lots of
1: phosphorus. So, yeah, I I mean, that's why we always tell people, just get an analysis of it, and don't trust whoever's selling it to you. Just go pull your own samples, send it in for analysis, see what you've actually got, but yeah, that, that is one thing. We haven't really spent much time talking about this, but there are a lot of different sources of lime. We use water Treatment lime, which is also much higher in a lot of different nutrients than ag lime would be, of course. So, yeah, I mean, you can get fertility besides getting lime sometimes. So, yep, lots of things you got to look at.
7: Exactly. Yep.
0: You know, as you look across those soil tests, like you mentioned, once you've got that magnesium in line, it's it's good to keep it there, and that can be a challenge. So, uh, putting out that calcitic lime is is a way to do that to to just feed your calcium where you need and and not trying not to to decrease that magnesium too much. But I know any time on that base saturation, you start increasing one, you can run the risk of decreasing that other one because it's got to come from somewhere, right?
7: exactly exactly and that's what I, I i i've usually done and when i when i farmed i uh, now the the guys that are farming my land they they test basically every year now and they've got a, a lab here called brookside labs that comes out and does all their testing for them and gives their recommendations so they follow that pretty pretty well they made some you know some major amendments to my soils when i from what i did when i farmed so
0: You know, it's an interesting point because Brian's talked about this before, too, when when eventually Brian rents out his ground what kind of restrictions he's going to have on me or whoever else decides to farm. He always laughs when I say that because I'm a full (laughs) two and a half years younger than him. Uh, But, uh, you know, what kind of restrictions do you have on people renting your ground? And are you watching their soil samples pretty close?
7: I I have not because these guys that I have farm on my land are top notch and I don't worry about it. And when um, I had them take over a couple of years ago after my brother passed away, I told them, I said, you guys are going to farm this land as long as I'm alive and do what you got to do and treat it just like your own. And we've, you know, they've they've made amendments. They've spread down phosphorus. They've uh, put the lime down. We've went in and tiled. I told them, you know, I'm not afraid to spend the money on tile where we need it. And I, I want them to do well so that I can do well because my, my rents are based, I kind of have a flex rent, so I get a base amount. And then like this year with prices being up and yields being really good, um, I should get a, a bump out of that. So I'm going to get a return regardless. So.
0: You know, I love that. I love the flex rent. I think that's something that, that really is something people should be looking at because yeah. now you've got some incentive there that, hey, uh, when you do really well, you don't have to go renegotiate all the time. You got something in place where, uh, hey, I get a base. I know I can count on that. And on the good years, I get a little extra. And the years where it's tough for everybody, we want to keep that same farmer in business so he can oh, keep farming man. my ground long term
7: exactly and that's the way i look at it like i said earlier you know i I want these guys i've told them they're farming it as long as i'm alive and uh and and i don't know what their succession plans are but i you know i want them there for long term because they're some of the best farmers around
0: outstanding well keeping that ph in line is a big big deal it it helps us so many things out in that soil and keeping everything healthy in the field uh it's it's definitely a good situation to be
7: in well this year's crop, um, they, they harvested, you know, we got kind of started early around here on corn, and uh, they harvested my corn on September 30th, and I, they told me it went about 213 bushels, which is the best corn we've ever had on that farm, other the best we ever had when my brother and I were farming was right around 195. So um, what they've done is paid dividends.
0: Outstanding. Well, that is that is awesome, and it's it's good to hear that too because so much of this ground gets cash rented, and it's tough when you don't have long term deals to to make those big expenditures like lime can be because it's a it's a multi year return. So, kudos to you, Daryl. That's that's a great way of doing business.
7: Yep. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Well, thanks for thanks for uh, chatting with us a little bit, Daryl. We really appreciate it, and good luck to you here.
7: Yep. Yep. Thanks for everything you guys do. Take care.
0: You bet. You know. Brian, Daryl makes a great point. If you've got a lime investment, it's a long-term deal. And if you can work with the, the tenants that are farming your ground, or if you know, if you're the tenant and you've got a long-term deal, you can make those investments and keep that soil in great shape. Because if you get that pH way out of whack, it's tough to raise a good crop and it's tough on so many things in the field.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. And here's kind of the way I look at this thing. Roughly in the United States, half of the ground that's farmed is rented. And very few farmers treat their rented ground like they treat their owned land because they don't have arrangements like they do with people like uh, Daryl's tenants have with him. That's what I'm trying to say. So we have kind of had that type of relationship with many of our landlords as well. So we've treated landlord ground similar to our owned land. And that basically means we're building it up. Whereas almost every time we buy some ground, it seems like that ground had been cash rented for a long time. And sure enough, first soil tests we do, it's like, okay, there's no fertility here. (laughs) And the pH is way off. And we got other problems too. No tiles put out there. It's just, it's a mess. So we often end up spending 500 bucks an acre just to start getting things back to the way they should be. And it's kind of sad because the ground could have been more productive all the way along, but When you don't have long-term arrangements, it's hard. Now, you can get by with a short-term arrangement if there's some type of agreement. Like, for example, with most Lime, they say it takes about three years to fully come available. Well, if you only have a one-year lease, that would mean that you need to have some type of arrangement with the landlord to cover two-thirds of your bill if you only get to farm that ground one of the next three years. So anyway, there are a lot of ways to do that thing, but it, it, it does get a little bit challenging when we start talking about pH and soil tests and fertility, especially with the high prices that we have right now to get all this taken care of on the farm, everything from liming to fertilizing properly. All right, let's get to the AGPHD PhD mailbag.
0: It's the mailbag! All right, Brian, got a bunch of different mailbag questions here. One of them, just wondering why we would burn. This one, first one came from NC. Uh, just wonder if you've ever done a controlled burn of corn stalks out in a field. The Mayans used to burn patches of forest and then grow corn on the shallow limestone bedded fields. You know, I don't know enough about that. That's That sounds kind of interesting. And then uh, JM said, I think you guys are completely wrong. Why would you burn? It's a terrible thing, and you're leading people in the wrong direction. So, got opinions all over the board on this. Okay,
1: so first of all, we have never been proponents of just burning at random I think this probably has to do with we were talking about this I believe in the television show and I just most likely made the same comment I always do and I said look if you feel like you have to burn then hey you got to burn but here are the reasons why I don't like it number one there's always risk with that fire taking off but two you're gonna lose some of your N, P, and K and that part I don't like I don't like losing the residue I don't like losing the, the the nutrients And it's a huge percentage, too. I'm going to say it's most of the nitrogen and sulfur, and it's like a third of the P and the K. So that's the reason why I don't like to burn. I will tell you, we have done some burning, though, of ditches. Like, we just picked up some new ground on the river bottom, and it's just a disaster in the ditches. And so we just needed to burn out all that residue in the ditch, not not out in the field, I'm saying. But anyway, out in fields, sometimes people feel like in wet years, there's nothing I can do. I got to get that ground black. Otherwise I can't farm it in the spring. So they burn. All right, stay tuned. We'll get to more of your questions next.
2: It's smart to make the right agronomic choices and it's even smarter to get rewarded for them with the Bayer plus rewards program. You earn cash back on seed herbicides and other eligible products. And it keeps getting smarter because now you can earn an additional 10% bonus when you send your redemption check to your retailer. To learn more, contact your retailer today. Protect your yields and get the most from your land with Bayer Plus rewards. Visit mybayerplus.com and see program terms and conditions for full details. Go long for season-long foliar disease protection that starts at plant. Only Zyway brand fungicides from FMC provide season-long inside-out foliar disease protection. A single at-plant application provides comparable performance in corn yield protection to that of VT to R1 foliar fungicides against diseases like gray leaf spot, northern corn leaf blight, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or zyway.ag.fmc.com to learn more. Always read and follow all label
0: directions. How can you make more profit from your soybeans this year? Hi, Darren Hefty. We'll give you the answer to that question at a free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. It's Tuesday, February 15th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll dive deep on topics such as pest control, resistance issues, herbicide traits, fertility, cleaning up white mold, and more. If you want to make raising beans more lucrative and fun, you don't want to miss the free Ag PhD soybean agronomy workshop. Learn more at agphd.com. And while you're there, check out the other Ag PhD events we have coming up in January and February, including agronomy workshops in corn and wheat, a tiling clinic, two days dedicated to soils, plus a whole day devoted to natural and biological products. There's a lot of great information here, and we can't wait to share it with you. To learn more about these events and register, go to agphd.com. Fertilizer
3: prices spiked this year. As you plan your fall and applications, how will you protect that investment? NSERV Nitrogen Stabilizer is the only product with 45 years of proven results. NSERV protects nitrogen below ground where up to 70% of loss happens, keeping it in the root zone for up to eight additional weeks. And NSERV is shown to increase yield potential by an average of 7% when used with fall applications. Don't settle for anything less than the trusted protection of NSERV. For more information, visit NitrogenMaximizers.com.
0: You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. Let's head back over to Michigan. We've got Garrett with us right now. Garrett, how are you doing? Good. You?
6: We're doing well. We're doing
0: well. What can we do for you?
6: 1st uh, like to say, um, just started listening to the show, and it's amazing. I learned a lot so far, and I continue to hopefully learn more. Awesome. Thank um, you. Thank you. Um, My question is, as a a young farmer, pretty young myself, starting a family farm, we have ourselves about 30, 40 acres, and we run out another 30. Um, And a lot of older farmers around us are retiring right now, and they're asking, obviously, pretty high prices for land, um, especially during this time. Um, Is there any advice you have for young farmers such as myself looking to try to get more land and kind of grow A family farm and just farming for myself in general. I mean, a lot of farmers are going. They're not really trying to give breaks to younger guys like myself. They're looking for the highest amount of money possible, which is, you know, it's understandable. But at the same time, it's not really young, new blood getting into the farmers. It's people that have, you know, almost a thousand acres.
0: Sure, sure. Well, I'd say this: don't assume that everybody's thinking the same way because they aren't. Mm -hmm. And with land prices the way they are right now, man, you sell a 1,000 acres, you get quite a tax hit. So for, for some of these guys that are trying to step their way out, yet cash out on some of it to, to have some retirement money or whatnot, they may be really interested in, you know what? I got 1,000 acres. I'm going to sell a couple hundred off. And I can get uh, quite a bit of money out of that. I got enough to retire on for a while or for a few years, and, and I could rent the other part out to somebody else. Or maybe they're looking for a young guy to come in and help them uh, be able to keep farming so they can come out and run the combine like they like, but not have to do all the dirty work in between.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what we've seen over the years, Garrett, is uh, a lot of farmers don't sell the land. They The ground doesn't get sold until they die. And right, then at that like point, things, yep, yep. And then at that point, their kids get the stepped up basis and everything. So there's a big mm-hmm. tax reason why they want to hold on to it. So, anyway, then they end okay. up renting it out. But yep. in the meantime, you know, before they've gotten to that point, yeah, it's whether you could do some custom work for them or help them mm-hmm. work with them a little bit. And so basically you, you're building the relationship because it's like almost okay. anything else. If you have a relationship with the people yep. that could potentially supply you with that land somehow some way, then you're in a lot better shape because I've known a lot of guys that have rented it. It's It might even be on, on share rent or whatever. I've mm-hmm. also known some guys that have gotten ground based on contract for deed so they didn't even have to go to the bank, it was just contract for deed with that farmer, yep. and then he ended up selling it to him eventually, or or their family sold yeah, it yeah. to him. So yeah, you okay. just, you, you, when you're in that situation, what's that? Yep. Yeah. Build well, the connection. Yeah. To, yeah. Right. And, and, and the whole thing is, in life, you have to look at, all right, what do you have an excess of, time yep. or money? And when your excess is not money... Then Mm -hmm. you got to spend that time in a valuable way, working lots of hours and doing everything you can to do you know whatever you can to build up your overall equity and hopefully start buying ground in in little chunks and eventually yep. once you get older then you get enough cash and 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 capital behind you and hopefully land values keep going up so your assets are worth more and then eventually you can go buy ground cuz that's basically the the I mean what happened with Darren and me so we started Small And I mean, we were older before we were even buying ground. And then, you know, as the years have gone on, the ground's worth more. So, you know, there was ground that I bought originally for $1,500 an acre that's now worth 12000 an acre. So obviously I can borrow a lot on that ground if I want to now, go buy other ground, and it's worked out pretty well. But, yeah, just it all takes time, and and that's one of the big things when people look at farming and they go, man, I want to, you know, move up the ladder fast in corporate America or whatever. Well, if you want to do that, you probably don't want to get into farming because it's going to take you a long time.
6: I understand. Patience is key.
1: Yep, yep, that's right.
0: Hard to be patient. I I totally understand that, though.
1: But, you know, the next thing is just trying to learn every day. So, I I mean, it's these things that we're talking about here on the show a lot. And it's learning on a small scale, trying different things and going from there. But you got to study up on, on especially soil tests. I mean, the older I get, the more that I realize the value of soil tests and the importance of fertilizing properly, because when we've done a poor job of that in the past, it's directly impacted not just our yields, but our soil health and that long-term viability of that ground. We want to do a great job, not just an okay job. So we're continuing to try to improve on that all the time, even though Darren and I've been farmers for over 30 years. It's just, you know, well. plus when we were kids, I, I mean, it's just trying to get better every day. So anyway, it's fun. I I I really like agriculture. And I I mean, I think you got a bright future if you just stick with it, because it's kind of like you say, you know, the the numbers are thinning a little bit. So there aren't nearly as many people who have that passion to work all those hours and and take that risk and everything else. So you just got to stick it out and hopefully it turns out great for you.
6: Thank you. Uh, On a quick side note, we're talking about fertilizer. So... My, my dad's kind of old school and his ways of thinking, and uh, most of our fertilizer is just a broadcast uh, over the fields. Yep. Our field kind of varies between you know a nice uh, good soil, then we have some clay spots and sandy spots. Sure. I was trying to talk him into doing some different soil samples like grid sampling, yep. to kind of like localize our fertilizers <laughs> yes. in the fall, usually yes. after you know, you worked the field up or in the spring.
1: We, we typically test right after the combine rolls through.
0: Yep, before you do the tillage in the fall. That's our that's before our tillage. Yep,
1: and part of the reason why is now I have, if I didn't, let's say I wanted to fertilize in the spring, I have all winter to think about it, talk about it, look at it, everything else. But most of the time, yep. we're trying to get our work done in the fall. So we combine, we immediately soil test, and then we get the results back, let's call it a week later, and then we can go out and fertilize. So it, it works out pretty well that way.
6: Okay. All right. Well, thank you, guys. I appreciate all the information.
1: You bet. Yep. Thanks for calling in. Good luck. Yep. Thanks. Bye bye. All right. Next, we got Robert calling in from Illinois. Robert, how are you today?
8: I'm doing great. I just got back to a funeral, and it wasn't mine, so it's, it's a good day. <laughs>
1: so, well, uh, uh, yep. Yeah. Sorry to hear about the uh, the funeral, but I hear you got a question about concaves.
8: Yeah, I was. Everybody, a lot of people have been. Complaining and whining about green stems and leaves and the beans and so forth. Um, I wondered whether the aftermarket concaves that you guys talk about that you use in your combines, whether did that help you in regard to getting an early start in in harvesting your your soybeans with, you know, that were still kind of green.
1: Well, let's put it this way: I there's nothing out there that's going to be perfect. Okay, so we really like those Estes concaves, yes, but when you've got green stems yet the the seed is ready to harvest you just you got to go and you're just going to end up going slow in a lot of cases and I'd say too a lot of people are always rooting for an early frost I'm never rooting for an early frost I don't care if things are evened up I don't care if we have to go slow I want the most money I want the most yield possible and the longer we can keep those stems green typically the better yield we end up with I think that the stems ended up so green this year in part because of all the drought stress and late rains and things like that. But yeah, it was unusual. But the flip side of that is hey, we actually probably did a fairly decent job as farmers keeping those plants alive somehow, some way through all the stress that they had this year. And then we, we had the challenge that we did this fall with harvest. The other thing that I would say that's a big deal is harvesting wetter soybeans. We use automatic bin fan controls. And man, that has made our farm tons of money. Rather than having some of our beans get dry, like always used to happen, we start harvest at 17% moisture beans. And then we finish our harvest earlier so we have more time for everything from soil sampling to fertilization and tiling you name it
8: right I, i'm essentially retired but working the same number of hours as before but <laughs> so i'm working for my son and so yep. the two topics that we have kind of an ongoing rub about and i think in his, his situation he's just not wanting to spend money but the, the two topics have been the bin Fan controls and the Estes Concave. I'm sure. you know, I'm basically sold on both and uh and at this point you doesn't want to spend the money. Now however, yesterday I was out following a couple of rains after some bean harvest and I was looking and evaluating rotor loss and it's easy to evaluate whenever the rotor loss and, and, and head shatters turned into a fall cover crop
1: and <laughs>
0: Yeah, we saw we saw a lot of that this year. There's no doubt about it. There is a lot of a lot of fall, unexpected fall cover crop out there. We're talking with Robert here in Illinois about concaves on the combine, but we'll take more of your calls and questions right after this. How can natural products help you raise bigger and better crops? I'm Darren Hefty. In recent years, natural products have exploded onto the market, making claims of improving soil health and plant development. But which products will work best on your farm? Well, that's why we're devoting a full day to our first ever Ag PhD Naturals Workshop. It's Wednesday, February 16th at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. Our research team has spent years testing hundreds of natural products and want to share with you what we've learned. For more about this free event, go to agphd.com.
2: When it comes to harvest, every kernel counts, and nothing captures more kernels than the new Drago GT or the proven Drago Series 2 corn heads. Both have automatic self-adjusting deck plates, and the new Drago GT features quad suspension deck plate ear shocks for
3: even greater harvest efficiency. Nothing in the field captures more yield. For more information on Drago corn heads, go to dragotech.com. That's DragoTec.com.
0: Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. And also you can email us radio at agphd.com. All
1: right. So right before the break, we were talking to Robert from out in Illinois. Uh, yeah, Robert, we were talking about your debate with your son about the concaves and then the automatic bin fan controls. So Darren and I occasionally have debates too. We're brothers and we always try to solve these problems in the field. So in other words, if I think something's going to work and he doesn't, we just say, all right, well, let's prove it. Let's find out one way or the other. Just like the bin fan controls, I'd, I'd try one bin. and find out, okay, on one bin, is this paying? That's basically what we did. And then after it did, we go, oh, wow, yeah, we we got to do more of that. And so then we put them on more bins. Same deal with the concave, same deal with almost anything else. We demo all kinds of stuff and find out, all right, what do we we really think here? Is this going to work or is this not? Try it out on a small scale and kind of go from there.
8: I I think he'd be fine with that as long as I write the check for the concave.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) yep I
8: think <laughs> I, that work,
0: sounds man. like a great idea robert i got i get yep. to tell i gotta tell you
1: this quick story though robert so when our dad uh retired and he turned things over to us his he had let his ground he basically had mined out a lot of fertilizer in his ground and so i spent a boatload of money on fertilizer that very first fall and i didn't uh say anything to him but i knew it was on shares and i waited until he went to arizona and then i sent him the bill (laughs) (laughs) And uh, anyway, uh, yep, he's like, he calls me up one day and I just remember this vividly. And he goes, Brian, I think you sent me the whole fertilizer bill for the whole farm. And I go, no, dad, that's just your acres and it's just your share. And he proceeded to chew me out for about the next 10 minutes, you know. But sure enough, that summer, I mean, everything was fantastic. Yield was way higher and he was happy in the end. But I mean, we had done enough experimenting to know it was going to pay. So I I took the chance and I just made the executive decision, hey, we're going to do this. He wasn't happy at first, but it was the right thing. But but again, we had tried it out enough years on our own ground to know, hey, we have to do this. It's going to pay. Don't worry. And fertilizer was a lot cheaper then than it is today. So anyway, that's my story. I,
8: I guess the, on the on the concaves, uh, I did some serious counting using the hefty technique of the one foot square you know and came up with about a half a bushel per acre of head shatter versus 1.8 to maybe two bushel on rotor loss Mm -hmm. Um, do you think that with the estes concaves that we could improve enough to get that rotor loss down to a bushel or less than a bushel what i mean what are your thoughts on is, improvement on on rotor loss.
1: Okay, is it possible? Yes, but here's the thing: we aren't talking about massive numbers there, so I I, I guess I, I'm I'm just saying, yep, that's some loss. It's not the end of the world, and I don't know what all the other factors are. So it it's yeah. it's really really hard for me to to sit here and tell you, oh, for sure, that's going to pay. Is it something so, so I would look into and try? Sure, it is, but you so, know I don't. So you're go ahead
8: actually he did a pretty good job of setting the combine yes
1: yep yep okay yep, yep. but okay. yeah i mean most anything that we're trying to do on the farm we kind of multipl- we do the math is what i'm trying to say here and we yep. say all right what what can i expect for yield how many acres am i going to do this on how much is the cost and is my cost a one-year thing is it a three-year thing is it a five-year thing and we kind of go from there
8: right now looking at the the harvested corn and bean fields looking horizontally out across the field, you're looking, oh my, that's terrible. When you actually get out there and look vertically down on it, it's not as nearly as bad as what it looks like from the road.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, I yep. hear you.
8: Okay. Appreciate your time. You bet. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Yep. Bye.
0: Got a question that came in from Larry and he said, we're raising some rice on this particular field. We're sending you a soil sample here. Just wondering to actually build the fertility up to the optimal range what would you apply in this field?
1: Okay, now this is something interesting, and the the soil test was run by University of Arkansas. It looks like the the base saturation total that they have says forty seven percent, and you go well, I, I can't even run the math on that. No, here's what I ended up doing. We have we I I put together for I think it was an advanced soils clinic a few years ago. I just put together a little spreadsheet so anybody can calculate what base saturation is, and just, I, I, I ran through the numbers, put in all his parts per million and everything, and I, I calculated it out, and it is actually about that, that calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium are adding up to 47%. It's 53% hydrogen. So what does that tell you? It's a very acid soil. It's about 5.5 in terms of soil pH. Here's something, though, if you aren't familiar at all with rice production. They say that if your soil pH is 5.5 5 or above, you probably don't need to lime it. It's probably not going to be advantageous for you. They don't want soil pH. Okay, so like for corn, soybeans, and wheat, we talk about 6.3 to 6.8. They don't even want it in that range for rice. They want it that next set down. So basically in that 5.5 5 to 6.2 kind of range. So normally when I see a soil pH, I'm going, oh, we got to put lime on. And here's the great thing. Uh, On this soil test, they did put recommendations for rice, soybeans, and corn. And sure enough, they have a lime recommendation for both the soybeans and the corn. The other thing you need to know for our listeners is this is an eight for a cation exchange capacity. So it's light soil. That's what we would call light soil. 10 and less we consider light soil. Once you get down to five, then you're dealing with just about pure sand. But anyway, this is a pretty light soil. So it's not going to hold lots of nutrients. And his question was, what do I need to do for fertility out there? Well, I, I just, for the most part, I would recommend you follow what they have for guidelines here, what they had for recommendations. So, for example, on his rice, they're saying 40 pounds or 40 units of phosphate and 120 units of K2O potassium. 11, part, So... On the soil test, it only has, for phosphorus, 11 parts per million on a Malik 3 test and 48 parts per million on potassium and only one part per million on zinc. So, would I be boosting all those levels? I absolutely would. And that's what they're recommending to you as well. So, I... I, Eleven parts per million—that's only 22 pounds of phosphorus. That's just way too low for any crop that you ever want to raise. So, yep, I'm I'm for sure boosting my P and my K. Now, the one thing that I would say is for sulfur, there was no sulfur recommendation here, and I'm no I'm no huge rice expert or anything, but I see they have no sulfur recommended for rice, soybeans, or corn. Well, you're only sitting there with 22 total pounds of sulfate. That's not much. That's not good. You need some more sulfur. It looks to me like you could use a little bit of boron too when you're at 0.1 for parts per million of boron. So, anyway, yeah, a lot of these levels are low. You need fertility. I just make sure that you're adding some that's uh that it's going to help. Now, here's here's the one good thing that I'll say. Cuz all almost all these soil test levels for all the nutrients are in what we would call the very low category. Fertilizers high priced right now and a lot of people are panicking that oh my goodness and I can't spend anything and all this look when your soil test levels are in the very low category almost any fertilizer you put on is probably going to pay even at these price levels so that's the one piece of good news that I got for you
0: all right thanks for the questions appreciate that Larry uh, this one comes from Diego down in Argentina he said hey guys I'm at v2 v3 corn with a heavy black cutworm infestation now I was wondering what your practices are to control this. I've been using traded corn, but I've been using various traits, and last year didn't have any issue with these bugs. I buy my corn treated with cruiser insecticide. Just wondering, should I retreat with other insecticides? How do you manage black cutworm?
1: Well, the first thing is you have to be scouting because they can wipe out your crop pretty quickly. Second thing is to understand if the crop's really small, the growing point's still below ground. So when until it gets to V6, the growing point's below ground. If the plant's getting cut off right at ground level, yeah, it's going to slow you down. You're not going to mature as quickly, but the good news is you didn't kill the plant. In terms of how you control cutworms, pretty easy you just use a cheap thread. so like around here the last couple years we've been using some type of uh lambda psi kind of product for two bucks an acre for the full rate it'll wipe out all your cutworms you just have to be timely with the application
0: all right thanks for the question uh Trying to see one that's going to be quick here, Brian. All right, uh, this one comes from Michael, and he said a couple of weeks ago I heard you guys talking about crabgrass control in lawns, but I didn't have any paper. What are your best options for crabgrass control? I remember, you said three things. Was it pendimethalin, quinclorac, yep. and yep. mesotrione?
1: Yes. Yes. So the Quinclorac, that's the best. I would say that's Drive or like in sorghum, it's Paramount. And the Mesotrione, uh, Tenacity would be one of the name brand products. But yeah, it's similar to Callisto, same active ingredient as Callisto that we use in corn. Those are probably my top two things. And Pendamethylence, same thing as Prowl we use in soybeans. That's a good pre as well.
0: Great question. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you listening, Michael. Thanks to everybody for listening to our program today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.